Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for the prophet Micah and that you worked through him to record these words. We pray, pray as we finish our journey through Micah's prophecy that you would encourage us of your goodness and your justice and your truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, it's the 8th eight, century BC. We're in the city of Jerusalem and there are kings and there are kingdoms in conflict and we're in Jerusalem so there's temple and there's lots of religious activity and there's wealth and there's power and there's poverty and there's suffering and injustice. And the prophet Micah comes and he is seeking justice because he speaks upon the God of Israel, the God who is worshipped in Jerusalem, Yahweh, who is seeking justice. And Micah addresses the people of God, Israel, who had been called by God and rescued from slavery in Egypt and brought into the promised land and blessed and secured and given this city of Jerusalem and what does Micah see amongst the people of God who have been blessed so wonderfully? He sees gross injustice. Chapter 1, the introduction. Hear you peoples, all of you. Listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. There's the temple. The Lord's speaking. In fact, he goes on to say the Lord is coming down. He is entering the situation. It will be fearful. Verse 5. All this because of Jacob's transgression. Because of the sins of the people of Israel. See, the fundamental problem here in Jerusalem, in Israel, is that they've turned away from the Lord. They've rejected his rule and his law. They're serving false gods. The fundamental problem is what we would call sin. Rejecting God and his authority and law. Putting me first. And when I put me first, well, that's always expressed in injustice towards others. And so just a sample of the injustice that Micah rails against. Chapter 2, verse 1. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning light they carry it out because it's in their power to do it. They covet fields and they seize them, and houses and they take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance because they can. Verse 8. Lately my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from the battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. That's wicked. Chapter 3. Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel. Shouldn't you embrace justice? You who hate good and love evil who tear the skin from my people and flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Oh my goodness me, what graphic imagery of injustice. They're tearing people apart. 
Verse 5. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. These are the prophets in the Jerusalem. Verse 9, hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that's right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price. Her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord amongst us? You know, we've got the temple, we've got the religion, we're Israel, we're Jerusalem. No disasters coming on us. Chapter 6, verse 9. Listen, the Lord is calling to the city. Am I still to forget your ill-gotten treasures, you wicked house? The short ephah, which is a curse, shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Your rich people are violent. Your inhabitants are liars. Their tongues speak deceitfully. Deceitfully. Chapter 7, verse 2. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Both hands are skilled at doing evil. The rulers demand gifts, the judge accepts bribes, the powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. And that is just a sample of Micah's throwing out the injustices in Jerusalem. It's rank. It's infecting and in polluting the people of God in God's land. And the Lord called them to faithfulness. And they respond with faithlessness. It's wicked. In other words, they can't be trusted. That's what faithlessness is. You can't be trusted. All that they can be trusted to do is be true to their character, which is to be self-serving, unjust, grabbing, seizing, wounding, crushing. And so the Lord is coming as judge. And he will bring justice in the land. And so another sample, chapter 1, verse 16. Shave your heads in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as a vulture, for they will go from you into exile. There's exile coming. Chapter 2, verse 3. Therefore, the Lord says, you plan to take people's houses. Well, I am planning disaster against this people, from which you cannot save yourselves you will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity, and that day people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with a mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My possession is divided up. He takes it from me. Chapter 2, verse 10. Get up and go away, for this is not your resting place. This is not your land, because it's defiled. It's ruined beyond all remedy. Chapter 3, verse 4. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. You turn away from me, go. Chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. 
Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the Temple Hill a mound overgrown with thickets. And that is again just a sample. We could keep on going with Micah's declaration of God's judgment, which particularly fell at the time when the Babylonians attacked and crushed Jerusalem and took the people into exile. And that would be enough for Micah's prophecy in seeking justice. We've had crime and punishment, cause and effect. But it's not the end of the story. Because interspersed between this crime and punishment is a message of hope and restoration and justice and peace. It starts with a hint in chapter 12, verse 12. I will, almost out of the blue, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant, the leftovers of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like flock in its pasture. And the place will throng with people. And then the one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out and their king will pass through before them. The Lord at their head. This new day, this shepherding image. It's picked up again as an image of a new Jerusalem. Jerusalem's corrupted, but chapter 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and people will flock to it, stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. And we will walk in his paths and his law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for the strong nations far and wide, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. See, there will be justice and peace. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. There's going to be this city, Jerusalem, with a new king, a new ruler. It will be a shepherd ruler. Chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphrah, which is just outside Jerusalem, O little town of Bethlehem, but you, Bethlehem, Epaphrah, though you are small amongst the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Verse 4, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. There's going to be this rule of justice over the whole world, and he will be our peace. This king born in Bethlehem, it will be a new day, chapter 7, verse 8, for all peoples. Do not gloat, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And then just before our passage today, verse 11, chapter 7, the day for building your walls will come. The day for extending your boundary. And that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, from the Egypt to the Euphrates, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. They'll all come to the city of God where this shepherd king reigns in this new Jerusalem. 
Micah starts with the faithlessness of Israel. But he ends his prophecy with faithfulness. Not Israel's faithfulness, but God's faithfulness. The very last verse in his prophecy. You will be faithful to Jacob and show steadfast love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Starts with the wickedness and faithlessness and unreliability of Israel and finishes his prophecy after pronouncing judgment and declaring their sin, saying, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. The judgment came in 586 BC when the Babylonian army attacked and completely destroyed Jerusalem and took its people away into exile where they were for 70 years. The city smashed. The prophet Jeremiah is there at the time and he's aghast. And we have the writing of Lamentations, which is exactly what it says it is, a lamentation. It's grief, it's horror, it's processing the, the awful nature of a destroyed Jerusalem. And yet in the middle of this message of Lamentations, we read this. Chapter 3, verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is faithful to his promises. There was a hymn written out of that, those verses in Lamentations. It's called, Great is thy faithfulness. Many of you will know it. O oh God, my Father. And I think it could be the theme song for Micah. Certainly the verses we're looking at this morning. As we end our series in Seeking Justice, great is thy faithfulness. God does not turn a blind eye to our sin and the injustice of our world. He will act against it, but he is faithful to his promises to restore and renew and to bring justice. And this morning, I'd like to look at our passage this morning. We've gone through a quick overview of Micah. But I'd like to use that hymn or phrases from that hymn to look at what Micah's telling us as he finishes his prophecy. Because what Micah promises is lasting peace. Or as the hymn would say, peace that endures, endureth. Verse 14 in our chapter 7 becomes a prayer from a humbled, repentant, faithful Israel, the remnant. And they look to God and they say, Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pasturelands. It's secure. It's fertile. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago, these fertile areas which they came into when they returned at the Exodus. Lord, give us good pasture. The shepherd theme pops up a number of times in Micah's prophecy. Now Israel is saying, Lord, actually, will you be our shepherd? Will you take the lead? Because we will follow you. We want to follow you. We want to obey. We want to live under your care and protection. We want to be your sheep. 
One of the things about sheep is they need a shepherd. Sheep without someone watching over them are exposed. They're vulnerable. They get hungry and thirsty. They're not very bright. God promises through Micah that he will be their good shepherd. You see, we can't, sheep can't shepherd themselves. They don't know where to go. The stories are rife. Sheep really don't know where to go. They don't know how to protect themselves from animals that will them, other than to bunch up and run around in circles. And what happens with sheep is one takes the lead and they all follow that. And then another takes the lead and they all follow that and they sort of go round and round and round and round, always frightened, always lost, confused and vulnerable. We're a lot like sheep. We don't know where we're going. Certain people take the lead. We sort of follow, hoping for some hope. And then another takes the lead and we follow when we hope for some hope. And we go round and round in a vulnerable, scary world. Subject to attack, thirsty and hungry, looking for hope and sustenance. We need a shepherd who knows where to take us, who leads the way, who will protect us even from ourselves. We need a good shepherd, not a bad shepherd, one who is faithful and reliable. The humble remnant at the end of Micah say, Lord, shepherd us. And God is faithful, and he responds in verse 15, As in the days when you came out of Egypt, that's the Exodus, I will show them my wonders. Yes, they're going to see great things. I will lead them. We sang Psalm 23 earlier. The Lord's my shepherd. I'll not want. I have nothing I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me. He leads me. We ask humbly, Lord, lead us into a peace that endureth. Because at the moment we're going round and round in circles and we're stressed and we're following one another and we're going nowhere. <clears throat> Take us into the promised land, as the hymn says, with thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Give us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Give us blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Be faithful, Lord. And it all ends with that king born in Bethlehem. Jesus who said, I am the good shepherd. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me and I lay down my life for my sheep. Will we let Jesus be our good shepherd? Will we let him lead us? Will we lay hold of him and help him to take us to security, to good pasture, to still waters, to the promised land? If you're looking for peace and rest and security in a troubled and unjust world, you will not find it in your own strength. You will not find it in false gods. You will not find it in materialism. If you want security and peace and rest, you need to follow the good shepherd and trust in the faithfulness of God revealed in Jesus. 
And he brings us peace and justice and security because he has won the victory. That hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, has a verse, Summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Oh, look, I knew I could. You always sit at your desk, you can remember these things really easy. Stand up here. Summer and winter and springtime is harvest. Someone give me the next line. Sun, moon and stars in their courses above. Thank you, Melinda. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great nature, to thy great faithfulness, mercy and love. In other words, the whole of creation's pointing to God's faithfulness. Join with all nature in manifold witness. If Michael was writing that hymn, he would have said, Join with all the nations in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy and love. Verse 16. The Lord's going to lead us to good pasture. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouth and their ears will become deaf. They will lick the dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. The nations will acknowledge the victory of the good shepherd. See, we think that power resides with the mighty nations and the rulers thereof who are fickle and fearful. We wonder about what's happening in North Korea and that Kim fella and Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin and who else and all the other little bit players who sit round the edges. And we live in fear and the news reports them, but the scriptures tell us that the almighty God is on the throne and that his purpose will prevail, and prevails even today, and one day every knee will bow in willing, subject, in willing subjugation before his great faithfulness and mercy and love. Our theme for this year is that we walk humbly with our God. That comes from Micah 6 verse 9. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love mercy and to walk Humbly with our God. And as part of our theme of humility and walking humbly with God, we've had a little bit of a theme verse from Philippians chapter 2, which I'll put my, ah, drop my glasses, <clears throat> put my glasses on to read. We've said, do nothing. Here's what it means to walk humbly do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There is humility. And the next line says, let your character be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In other words, follow Jesus. And then the verses that follow in Philippians chapter 2 are this great hymn about Jesus, who though in very nature God didn't consider equality with God as something to be held on to or possessed, but made himself nothing and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Jesus who went down, therefore God exalted him to the very highest place. This is a good shepherd and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> Even as we look at humility... We look at the exaltation and the majesty of the good shepherd Jesus 
who laid down his life for his sheep, and he will be acknowledged as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the lamb that was slain wins a great victory through his mercy and love and sacrifice. And every knee will bow before him. The lion and the lamb. If Harry and Meghan walked in to our presence this morning, there would be gasps and whispers. And we'd be kind of embarrassed. The more outgoing of you might race for us and shake hands and get signatures or selfies, I don't know. Some of us would be in the background, oh my goodness, Harry and Meghan are here. We'd be honouring them. Let me ask you, what have Harry and Meghan ever done for you? They've given you a few hours entertainment on a Saturday night, right? As you watch their wedding. What will it be like when we see Jesus? The Son of God, who became nothing for you, who bore your sins in his body on the cross. What will it be like when you're face to face with King of Kings and Lord of Lords? It'll be hushed, silence, whispers, embarrassment. I'll tell you what else there'll be. There'll be flat down at every knee bending before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who has done everything for us. Who crushed the serpent. Just as the nations will be like the serpent groveling in the dust before almighty King Jesus. As Micah tells us. Manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy and love. That's what Micah tells us. But how is God going to do this? How is God in his faithfulness going to win this victory? We know it will be through the good shepherd. We know the good shepherd is the Lord Jesus. How will that happen? Well, I hope you know the gospel story. If we go back to our sin, our hymn, there will be pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Pardon for sin. The root cause of our problem back in chapter 1 it's because of the sin, because of the transgression of Israel. Therefore, injustice. Because they've turned away from the Lord. Because they've treated God as their enemy. Because they've ignored his rule and his majesty. <clears throat> the promise of Micah is in this restoration, there will be pardon for sin. And a peace that endureth. See, our great hope is the faithfulness of God based upon his character <clears throat> and this saved remnant rejoice in the character of God. Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Who is a God like our God? Is the God of Islam? A God who pardons sin and delights to show mercy? Or is, he, is, is the God of is, Islam a God that demands and you're never quite sure? What, what about all well, the non-gods 
of, or the multi-gods of Hinduism or of Buddhism and learning to process life by extracting yourself from it and getting away from the pain or saying it's all a fantasy with many forces. What about the God of atheism? Does the God of atheism deal with sin, deal with the awful things, deal with the injustice, deal with my injustice? What about the God of humanism that tells us that we're all getting better and that there's hope in humanity? In the light of ISIS and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, your world without end, sin, 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 injustice, 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 do they deal with sin? Is there pardon? There is pardon for sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depth of the sea. You ever stomped on a spider that you're a bit scared of? You ever stomped things down? Like crushed them into the ground? That's what's happening with our sins by the faithful God stomped into the ground. Have you ever been on a boat and dropped something into the water? I have done that. I, somewhere in the bottom of Cowan Creek, I believe I have a wallet with $300 and a driver's license and credit cards. If you've ever done it, you just sit there and you just, oops! And it's like, I know exactly where it is. I just get it. But it's about 30 metres below me and I'm not, haven't got the scuba diving things. That is what's happening with our sins in Jesus. They are cast into the depths of the sea, in the bottom of the Mariana Trench, and, and they're gone. It's complete. And no sin is too great. I read for you earlier the sins of Israel. The wickedness and the injustice. And yet God promises because of my character, I'm offering forgiveness through the good shepherd. And it will be complete. And everything that you've done, the things that hurt and burden and rightly so, the injustices and the grief in Jesus, dropped into the water, gone. They're not coming back. They're not being held against you. As far as the east is from the west, says King David in Psalm 103, so far has he removed our sins from us. So great is his faithfulness. So massive is his love. So complete forgiveness. Everything washed away and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb who took it on himself. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. You offer me pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, and thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, and strength for today, and bright hope for tomorrow, and blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. 
All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. That is the very nature of God. How deep the Father's love. How vast his compassion and mercy. And we see it at the cross where the Son of God, we see it in Philippians 2, where the Son of God, full of majesty and grace, humbles himself and becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross for us to take our place. And so our hope and future is not dependent upon ourselves, as if we can save ourselves, as if it's dependent upon my faithfulness. Oh, I can't even remember to take out the garbage sometimes. It depends upon the faithfulness of God. And here is our confidence. Verse 20, you will be faithful to Jacob and show steadfast love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. The hymn, thou changest not, thou compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. God is gracious and merciful. He pardons our sins, though we have done so much to reject him in Jesus. He will lead us into good pastures. He will execute justice he will establish peace that endureth. And Micah the prophet, as he comes to the end, looks forward to that day of justice and peace. A day that finds its yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ, the King, to be born in the little town of Bethlehem, who will be the good shepherd. And one day every knee will bow before this Jesus and they will say, actually, you are Lord. <laughs> you are Lord. The faithfulness of God demands it. And he is faithful. And joy and peace and life and hope is found when that day is today. When that day of bowing the knee before Jesus and saying, you are Lord. That is the day of restoration. That is the day of a new start. That is the day of strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And when you're in Jesus, you can sing, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. And your story, though it starts with faithlessness, though it starts with unreliability, can be a wonderful story of faithfulness. The faithfulness of God that could call a sinner like you to be his child. Let me pray. Father God, great is thy faithfulness. We thank you that you are a God of justice and truth. We thank you that the horrors and the wickedness of our world matters. We thank you that you are committed to restoring and renewing and making all things right. And yet, Father, we look at ourselves in that situation and we realize that we're not right. And so we thank you for your faithfulness to your promises. We thank you for dealing with our sins in Jesus we thank you for the wonderful forgiveness that we have in him. And we ask, Father, that you lead us in Jesus to good pastures. 
Help us to follow faithfully and in him find life and peace and strength, we ask. Oh, for the precious name of Jesus. Amen.